0: we are uh, in our series sermon series move and we're looking at encounters with Jesus and today we're gonna have encounters that are gonna come right back to us and ask us probably most likely many of us if not almost all of us to move so let's go to our father in prayer before we begin father son and spirit God we thank you for your ever presence with us, everywhere we go, everything we do, and yet we thank you for this moment right now where we've gathered together in this room and also with all of those that are online with us, wherever they may be, in their homes or on vacation at the beach, wherever. We thank you for how you unite all of us and that we have this time that we can contemplate things and that we can bring everything that we're carrying to you. I pray that in the next few minutes, in your mysterious way, you will point to exactly what each person who is participating in the thoughts in this lesson needs to see and hear, and that through your spirit, you will encourage them to move in a way that you're leading them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how's your discipling going? And what I mean by that is twofold: uh, our discipling, the Holy Spirit continuing to transform us in Christian transformation, and how we continue every day to hopefully grow more and more into the image of Christ. And how is your discipling going with others? If you're like me, you have good days and bad days. Right? You have days that are harder than other days, and I don't know if if this is applicable to you or not, but sometimes it seems like the harder we try to help disciple others, we end up finding ourselves doing a lot of judging, a lot of finger pointing, and a lot of people get turned off very quickly. Uh, For example, there might be a conversation that somebody has, maybe you've overheard or maybe you've been in one yourself, where someone who doesn't believe is trying to be convinced and what we believe and we're whoever it is us or someone else is doing their their best right to have this conversation and the persons just getting more and more irritated at you keep your opinions to yourself you can do whatever you want to do you can't tell me what to do and by the way all you're really doing is pointing out all the things you're telling me are, are deficiencies in me and now I don't even want to listen to you and if we're not careful sometimes we get so upset that we go more and more unChristian. We just want to double down, win the debate, fight, whatever it is. And when we walk away, we're like, man, I don't, I don't think that's how that was supposed to go. So, why is that happening? Well, uh, Charles Taylor has a book that's almost 800 pages. And I'm going to do a, a great disservice to him and, and distill it down into basically two points this morning. Uh, he claimed, It's claimed that his book, uh, A Secular Age, is the most influential book of culture analysis published in the last 60 years and that's hard for some of us who aren't that old so I'll just take his word for it but the point being is that he went through exactly where we're sitting today in 2021 and describes basically the scenario I just went through on how good intending people Christian people want to help people come to Jesus. But there's reluctance, and there's actually barriers that we may not even realize. And so the relevance for discipleship, I think, is is very, very big. Um, like I said, the book's almost 800 pages. But here's here's basically what he points out. He says, or asked this question early on in the book. He says, "Why is it so hard for many to believe in God in 2021? Even though he uses a different year because the book was printed a few years ago, Why, while in 1500 it was virtually impossible." not to. Now none of us were here in 1500 so you have to you have to do this with whatever is applicable to you but but his point is why is it so difficult today to have these conversations and in 1500 it was pretty much anybody you stopped would have said oh yeah you want to have a conversation about God? You want to have a conversation about faith? Let's have that. And what he suggests is and we've talked about this before here at Hendersonville in multiple lessons is that religion or its absence is largely a private matter what I was alluding to in my little scenario of people just saying hey you can believe what you want to there's many different religions there's actually many different uh, in a way gods and everybody can do whatever everybody wants to do but you can't tell me what to do there's not there's not anything that's above all the other ones that's what society is basically saying and if we think about it the next statement there one can engage fully in life's diverse activities without ever encountering God which was not true in 1500 is what Taylor's suggesting And what that means is if you just right now in your mind run through all the places God has been eliminated from other than obviously this room and the people that are connected to this room online, it's a pretty long list, right? I mean, really, you hear people all the time say, hey, what are the two things you can't talk about at the dinner table? Politics and religion, right? And then it spills over to no prayer in schools and marriage now doesn't have God involved in that. And the list just goes on and on and on to where you can pretty much go through life and not really be exposed to God unless you intentionally do it. So if that's the people that we're talking to, we have to first understand the world that they're in. So in 1500 and before, most everyone had a God-shaped hole needing to be filled, is what, is what Taylor says. And what he, what he means by that is they're seeking something. They find that they don't have happiness in this, they don't have happiness in this other thing, and that there's something missing from their life. And when someone came along and said, well, you know what it is, it's, it's God, it's, it's eternity, it's the kingdom, it's, it's what you were created to actually become. Well, in 1500, that, that worked great. Here's the problem. He has this term that I'm pretty sure he coined called imminent frame. And what he suggests is because of everything we've already discussed to this point, the imminent frame are where people live and they're all about just right now. The only thing that's important to somebody, the only hole they have that they're trying to fill is are they happy, are they making enough money, do they have the right job, do they drive the right car, are they healthy enough, are they going to live long enough. Basically, it's all those cultural things and goals that are out there and there's not anything on the list that has anything with G.O.D. on it at all. And they probably don't come to places like this and they probably see people like us come out and say, hey, here's here's what you need to do, here's what you're missing, here's here's why you're not happy. And they say, I'm totally happy until you came up and tried to convince me that I'm not. So, So thanks, but no thanks. So what do we do? Well, I think I coined this. We do biblical frame. We say, wait a second, the Bible has examples of this stuff and we can actually go to it And see that this is not anything really new. Okay, so maybe the the world has changed since 1500, there's no doubt in that. But if we look at the biblical text, there's not really the absence of this happening even then. We just don't always see it. So the first text we're going to look at this morning is Mark 10, 17 through 18. All of these will come from the NIV. Some of the things in yellow in this first text I just want you to think about as we go by. Maybe Maybe you have before, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Mark 10, 17 through, uh, well, and following. This is 17 and 18 right now. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Hmm. We start with this one because we're going to look at three, like the previous slide said, and I think you'll see how they all connect. But here's here's what we normally do. We ask the wrong questions of the text. Okay, I've done it. I'm not up here acting like I have the answers or that I haven't done this we ask questions like this we say well I wonder if he ever figured it out I wonder if he ever sold all this stuff I wonder if he's lost I wonder if he's you know just gonna live a happy life and unfortunately he'll go to hell and he won't be saved we do this right but the passage doesn't contain those answers now, you could say, well, wait a minute, there's other places in the Bible we could infer whatever. But this passage doesn't contain those answers. Those are, really, those are really the wrong questions. Ultimately, Scripture is about God, what he did, what he is doing, and what he will do. We will never appreciate God's story if solving our problems is what we focus on when we read and study Scripture. That's really not what it is and it's definitely not to take something like this passage of the of the rich young ruler and try to determine if we think that we can force on the story whether or not he's saved or not but did you notice a couple of things that we can ask of the text we can ask questions like it said Jesus looked at him and loved him so it would be hard to kind of say well yeah he's probably gonna burn because he didn't do what Jesus asked him to do we also see that Jesus says who's good except God that's an interesting one we'll look at here in a second so when we ask these questions that the text can answer I think it suggests this we do not have such great wealth that's the first thing most people say they're like well I mean this guy this guy clearly had so much money or property or whatever in that period of human history that we can't really effectively be compared to it but it's not merely about the money what blocks us from wanting the kingdom of God right now it in the time that this text is written there weren't boats and car well there were some boats but not the boats we have there weren't boats like we have cars like we have airplanes houses beach houses there what there was not the type of life that is available to us so we have to put in context what the great riches probably were. And it sounds funny, but the great riches might have been land, animals, you know goats, sheep, uh, donkeys, other camels, other things that were of great wealth, and that would have been something that this young person was contemplating. So here's the question <clears throat> that we should ask of this text, I think, primary. If God is asking us to remove something from our lives, are we okay? As I opened us with prayer, and I believe it will happen as we go through this, some of you will hear something this morning. Something will bubble up in your mind or in your heart of what that is. And you don't have to share it with anybody. You can just keep it between you and God. But there's something that if he were to remove right now, what would our our reaction be? If he removes it and we're not okay, then we found identity in something. And if we found identity in it, it's become our idol. Or as one person around the communion table this morning said, it's become our God. That's tough. Because I I think if we're really deeply thinking right now, we know we're all guilty of that. Remember, Les speaking last week, and he was talking about what we cannot see. And they, you know, we had we had several different uh, examples of that. We had the the blind man who had the two stage healing, right? And Jesus says, "What do you see?" And he says, "Well, I see people, but they look like trees." And so he didn't see clearly yet. He saw partially, but he didn't see clearly. And then. Les took us to Peter declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't understand what he had declared the same way Jesus understood it, so he didn't quite see either. So let's think about in this text two things that we should see. Why do you call me good? Only God himself is good. So this young man recognizes that Jesus is good, and Jesus' response would suggest that he's on the preface of knowing that Jesus is God that's that's huge to notice number two we call this story in our bibles letter it the rich young ruler when we're young how well do we see how how about when we're young oftentimes we think uh, yeah, 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 I know those people mean well, and I'm sure when I grow up and become wiser or mature more, I will lean into to more of what I'm being asked to, to consider. But right now, what I'm interested in is, you know, one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is. Finish high school, go to college, get in a good school, get married, buy my first house, whatever it is. And you've got all that stuff that's kind of the most important thing because you're young. And when we look at that term, young, and we think about that in our context, we have to also think about it in his, which is, if he's young, do you think he earned all that wealth he has? Or do you think maybe he inherited it? So then we go back to what else the text says. He asks the question, which we also sometimes ask the wrong question. We think he asks, what must I do to be saved? But that's not what he asks. He asks, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Maybe because he has inherited all this great wealth that he has, and he wants to know, you know, what do I need to do in order to be guaranteed that I will inherit living forever? But as the Bible teaches us, that's not something you wait for till you're dead. That's something that you can actually participate in even now. So there, there's a lot there, and it it leads us sometimes to ask questions. Um, that, that that make us do contrast so we're gonna look at the second we're gonna look at the second text the second passage and we're gonna have a couple of things in common in all these this morning one is every single text says the person was rich so whatever that means whether it be animals and land or whatever or gold or whatever just keep in mind all these people have these things that give them the ability to make decisions kind of autonomously on their own so let's go over to Luke 19 1 through 10 This is a familiar story to most of us. Uh, Most of us that grew up in the church uh, or have been around vacation Bible school have heard the story of, of Zacchaeus probably, but let's go through it for a second because maybe we'll see something we haven't seen before. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, or some translations say was rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was, came to seek and save the lost. Alright, here goes the, the, the wrong questions. What's the leadoff one? Only half? Why'd he only have to give up half? So Jesus, Jesus gives him an accolade and says that salvation's come to this house today, and yet he didn't give up everything he had. He didn't do what the rich young ruler was was asked to do. Okay? Again, wrong question, because only God knows those individuals and knows what is going on between them and the block to want the kingdom now, as we ask at the at the beginning. It's not about how much he gives away. It's more about the fact that he voluntarily made the move God called him to make. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, Here's the one thing you lack, sell half of what you own and give it to the poor, like he said to the rich young ruler. So this guy's a this guy is a chief tax collector. He's got to be older. He's got to have lived long enough to figure some stuff out, right? And when he hears the call on him, however that happens, like in our prayer, we said the mysterious way that that happens. Whatever it was, he just voluntarily says, okay, I'm going to give half of what I owe, of what I own to the poor. And then he says, if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay them back four times. Interesting. So Zacchaeus heard and saw what was blocking him from the kingdom, and he voluntarily made the move God called him to make. Alright. Third, what if we ignore what we're hearing, what we're being called to see and hear? What if we say, yep, yep, that keeps coming up. I keep hearing that. I get in quiet times. I'm mowing the yard. I'm doing these other things and I'm praying and something keeps bubbling up and I keep thinking, hmm, I don't know why that keeps coming up but I'm going to keep pushing it down and I'm not going to do anything about it. Well, there's a story about that too and yet again it's another rich person Luke 16 there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs came and licked his sores the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Your translation may say "bosom." I, I'm suggesting, with my initials up there, paradise. This is where this is where this man goes to have no doubt of what his eternal f- future is. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew term Sheol, where the dead go. And after Jesus, there's a way out of that. And so, those of us who are in the eternal family, those of us who've been baptized and are part of the good news that he has made a way, don't go there. But the people who aren't, unfortunately, don't have a way not to go there. Where he was in torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, with, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So, there's more to it, and you probably know the rest of it, but here's here's the point for this morning. So he, he saw, but he saw too late, right? By the time he sees it, what, what the genuine authenticness of the, of the rich man is, is he wants to go back and warn his brothers. But if he's lived in a way that his discipling has not really been effective, if he hasn't shown his brothers what it looks like to hear and make changes, well, they probably aren't going to make changes either. And so we know that text goes on, that passage goes on to say, hey, you know, if someone comes back from the dead, they'll listen. But Jesus has come back from the dead and we're right back to square one where people don't listen so this morning what I'm wanting to do is invite everybody to bring whatever's in your mind to the table if something has come up if he's if he's pinpointed something to you this morning there's no better place than to bring it co- to communion and I suggest that we look at Revelation 320 this way here I am I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me but what if that's not a door like we think of a door what if that's a barricade between us and Jesus of whatever it is that he's pointed out to you this morning is blocking you keeping you from wanting the kingdom keeping you from actually saying What if all this was taken away, whatever it is, would I be okay? What if that's the door? So, whatever that is, as the servers go now and get ready to serve, think about it in the lyrics of this song as Blake leads us. To the river I am going. you did, and even, even earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we know that right before the rich young ruler came up and asked that question of you, we know that you said that only those who are like little children can actually accept the kingdom as a gift. We know we can't earn it. We know we asked the wrong questions. What if he had sold everything? Would he have inherited eternal life immediately? And we know the answer is no. That's not what it is. It's you. Please, now, as we bring, as we've just sung, all of our cares and whatever the doors are that are in each of our lives, we just ask that you'd soften our hearts and that as we take this bread that represents the sacrifice you've made, you remind us that you're in control and whatever you're asking us to give up, you're only asking us because you look at us and you love us. And you know what we don't know, and you're asking us to go out into the world, and as we're discipling others, we do so the way you're discipling us. So as we ingest this bread, may we recognize that we're communing with you, and may we reset as we go out this week. We pray in your name, amen. Let's pray for the cup. Father, we, we're in awe this morning at just uh, how busy we get and how many distractions we let come into our live, our lives. And then as you highlight those and we set them aside, we see what the true importance is. And we know that your word tells us that Jesus said that if we don't have his blood in us, we have no life in us. So as we've examined these texts this morning, wherever, wherever you have touched the heart or the mind of someone who's 94 or someone who's 24 or anywhere in between, um, we just ask that, that they be reminded, that all of us be reminded that it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the work that Jesus performed And it's all about being in him, having his blood in us so that we are guaranteed the inheritance of eternal life. And we thank you for that. Bless us now as we partake in this. In Jesus' name, amen. be amiss if I didn't thank the people who helped me put this together, including our elders, my small group members, my wife, and obviously the Holy Spirit. Um, This is a a lesson that I think is an enlightening lesson that starts off maybe a little bit negative, but here's the thing. In the text we looked at, Because they're different, a question maybe we don't usually ask is, is wealth by itself bad? Obviously, Jesus needed funding to do his ministry. Obviously, Zacchaeus was not condemned for not giving away everything that he had. But then we look at the bookcase ends, the bookends of the other two texts, and we see someone who... plainly who said that ever since their youth they would kept all the commandments they were they were a church person through and through and they knew the data of being what we would call Christian and yet they chose not to make the move and then at the other end you have the person that we don't know maybe maybe he never heard but he had his life had his fun had his reward and by the time he saw what he'd never seen Previously, it was too late. So here's the good news. We can recenter our lives. We can center our lives and and recenter them on God. And we can talk about this biblical frame that... uh, Actually, there we go. Missed a slide for you. We can talk about this biblical frame we've talked about today. We can enter what I'm coining the spiritual discerning mode. Where because we're inviting God to constantly pinpoint and point out in our lives what we need to pay attention to. If you want to, you can even say the burning bushes that are all over the place, that maybe we're too busy, too distracted, or we're running our lives the way we want to, that we don't see them. We asked to be able to see those. And when we do and we enter this discerning mode, really it's a different way of being in the world. It's a different way of living. It's different than the fixing and explaining and the controlling mode because those modes are not healthy. That's what leads us to what I started out with about the the debates and the arguing and the unchristian like behavior that can happen pretty quickly. And we start saying things like this is our church and this is our world and God bless it and do what we want to do. Well, I got bad news for you. It's not our church. It's not our world. All of it's his. And when we change our attitude from fixing things and we don't continue to try to be the kingdom police, We don't do jobs that we volunteer to do that God has not asked us to perform. He has not asked us to be the judge in his place. That's actually his job. So here's a question. Hmm. Slides are not cooperating with me this morning. I apologize. Uh, Okay, I'll I'll just go with that. Maybe it's the next one. Here's, Here's the discerning mode is how God moves us and always has us point to him. All right, the point being is that if, if we let go of trying to fix everybody else and we work on our discipling, we work on how the Holy Spirit is changing us, we work on the Christian formation that's taking place in us, when we do that, we will make the discernments with his help that point people to God. And then they'll see in us what we're supposed to be doing. And then, hopefully, they will see the God-shaped hole that our society and our culture compared to 1500 is no longer letting them see. They'll see it in us. And they'll say, "Hey, I have that same vacancy. I have that same hole as well." That's what we want to walk out of here and do. So, go back to an earlier question. If we knew that Jesus was returning right now, what just entered your head? What just came into your mind? Is it a list of things of, "Oh, and I've heard some Christians say this. Oh, I, yes, of course, and I hope not." Because I've got this and this and this and this I want to do. I want to see my grandkids grow up. I want to see my my daughter graduate from college. I want to make sure that I get to retire. I want that. I want to do this. I haven't traveled. I haven't seen Mount Rushmore. I haven't been to other countries. I haven't... Okay, but when he comes back, there's always going to be an I haven't. All of us are going to have those if we're alive. There's going to be babies. There's going to be elderly people. There's going to be people midlife. There's going to be people all over the place with all those different things going on. And if we're waiting to want him to come back and to have the kingdom until everybody's ready, then we're going we're gonna to be waiting forever because that's not, a healthy, that's not a healthy way to look at it. Otherwise, no one will ever be ready. We have to get to this point. We have to get to nothing can satisfy the desire for Jesus the King, the kingdom of God, and eternal life with God. That's really, in a way, what the rich young ruler was sitting there contemplating. He was trying to discern I want to know, I want to be guaranteed I'll inherit eternal life, but I don't want to be asked to give up anything I want to do right now. I don't really want it right this minute. I just want to know that sometime later I'll have it, and I can have that life insurance policy. I can have that comfort of knowing that. But please don't ask me to do anything right now that is not in my plans. We've, we've got to move past that. And once we unite in this belief, we can change the world. We're not going to change it until we do. We can make disciples, and we can help expand the kingdom. I'll just f- finish with this before we sing kind of a concluding song that kind of goes with all of this theology. Whatever it is you've heard, maybe it's something minor, maybe it's something you've been thinking about for a while, but if there's anybody here that's not part of the eternal family, as, as we're carrying these things and we're struggling and we're living in this culture that we're living in, there's, there's one imperative thing. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if you're not in the kingdom, you can make that decision today. You can pledge allegiance to the kingdom. You can give your life over to Jesus. And you can know that no matter what happens, you're going to have eternal life with him. So come now if we can help you with anything.